This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Chorley at the cheltenham literature festival yes it's sponsored by the times and the sunday times uh, loads of times sunday times times radio people are here all week we did the whole show uh, from uh, the whole time, all of my Times Radio show uh, from the festival, including PMQ's Unpacked live on stage. So you can hear the whole thing uh, in just a moment. It's Patrick Maguire and Lucy Fisher on stage. Before that, though, it's our columnist panel. And today it was really nice. Indian Night finally got to meet Indian Night in the flesh and Alice Thompson. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, I'm actually coming to you from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Where we've made, uh, we set up camp in, uh, in Waterstones in the sort of spies and Russia and Holocaust section, just to really light the mood. And joined by two times columnists in, uh, in person, we've got Alice Thompson, as we always do on a Wednesday. Morning, Alice. Hi. And for the first time ever in the flesh, it's India Night. Pretty exciting. Good morning. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? We've spoken every day for like two, every week for every two week. years. I know, I know. And now we're finally thrilling. out here. It's like being with a celebrity. The lockdown has been lifted. What was it bringing in? Actually, yeah, India, India here. Yeah. India is here. In person. Crowds up to one deep in places, <laughs> gathering around. <laughs> they'll be gathering soon. Yes, they'll be here. Once, people, once word gets out that you're actually here. Um, uh, let's, let's dive straight in then. Trade deal with India. Who are you trying to do a trade deal with India? Uh, I, I, would, <laughs> I, would do a trade, trade, I would not do a trade deal with Suella Braverman, um, who, who seems so determined to add to the kind of general confusion and chaos and unelectability of her party uh, that so now she's made india furious yes. by saying that uh, uh, in, uh, indian immigrants to britain are the ones who stay the longest and yes. I mean, the implication is that will outstay their welcome which obviously has made india the country very unhappy she says look at migration in this country the largest group of people who overstay are indian migrants and this has upset india at the precise moment that liz trust was hoping to make some progress on negotiating a trade deal. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? That she's actually gone for Liz Truss when she's meant to be in her cabinet. So Liz Truss didn't really achieve very much when she was doing trade. Um, The one thing she did think she'd got was this deal with India and also to get more Indian students over. And she was always trumpeting the fact that that she'd managed to do this. Suella's managed to actually just completely destroy that within one sentence. And following on from her really sort of mean comment about the fact that, you know, all she dreamt of was sending... Uh, Rwandan migrants back for Christmas. Um, um, I think I think that's just a, so it just feels very unpleasant, but it also feels like she's getting her own back. Is she wrong? I mean, I don't actually know. I mean, presumably she maybe she is right that the largest group of people who overstay are Indian migrants. It's just not very diplomatic to say so. Um, including her parents, presumably. I I, I just find it really really uh, distasteful and unseemly. Um, I think the line about all she wants for Christmas is people on flights to Rwanda. Yeah. Really, it's just what she a, dreams of. What she dreams of a daily telegraph front page. She get said better, obsession too. Get yeah. better dreams and better obsessions. You know, I find it creepy. Actually, I think she's a sort of. She makes me feel nostalgic for Pretty Patel, which is saying, <laughs> which is saying something. And interestingly, you know, in part of this whole new cabinet where everyone just says whatever pops into mm. their head. So Jacob Rees-Mogg is on Times Radio Breakfast and was asked about this uh, question. Does he support uh, uh, Suella Barfman's comments on India? This is what he had to say. 
Well, as a constituency MP uh, and um, as business secretary, uh, I'm hoping that we will have more Indian dentists coming in because they're highly qualified. They're trained to the standard of UK dentists. We have some absolutely excellent ones um, within my constituency, and we have a shortage of dentists. So I think there are many ways that the UK uh, and India can cooperate. But that sounds like the business secretary telling the home secretary to shut up. Yeah, pretty much. Well, also, Suella's actually making him sound quite normal almost, isn't he? That he's, he's now had to become a sort of plausible candidate for the cabinet. Same She's the sensible become, thing. Yeah. yeah. The nutter, really. I mean, it is extraordinary as home secretary that you can say stuff like this and not realise what an impact you're going to have. Yeah. Didn't, didn't she also want to uh, recategorise cannabis as a Class A drug yes. a couple of days ago? What's that about? Well, we've just had uh, Chris Nelson, the local um, police and crime commissioner, saying he supported that. He suggested that the cost of living crisis was driving people to to use more cannabis. But who knew who was responsible for that? She couldn't be running a leadership contest, could she, already? I mean, that's the problem. You feel now that they all think that Liz Truss is going to go quite soon and that whatever they say, they're appealing to different members. She's going for the sort of really hard-line immigration vote. You know, you've got Penny Morden over, you know, last week was on the show talking about, you know, we should rise and increase uh, benefits in line with inflation. Kemi Badenoch is basically taking the mick out of, uh, of Liz Truss as well. It's an extraordinary mm. sort of time we live in. Mm. Um, let's move on away from politics a bit. Let's talk about the coronation, the sort of pared down, slim line coronation. Are you looking forward to that, India? May, May the 6th next year. I am slight. Yes, I am looking forward to it, actually. I, don't, I shouldn't. I feel like I have to quantify it, but actually I don't really. Um, but what I, what I like, um, what I like is the idea of massive pomp and massive ceremony. I know we've just had massive pomp and massive ceremony, but for sad reasons it would be quite nice and quite cheering to have them for joyous reasons. So I understand of course the desire to make a pair, to kind of reinvent the monarchy uh, to a certain extent and to pare things down but actually I think go full fat. Go, yeah, just make a bank holiday, go full fat, out with the bunting. Well, I just don't know if you get any, Alice, um, any sort of credit if you only use the second most gold coach. Mm. And only do it for yes. an hour rather than and two you want hours. And all that oil and the sort of gold and the orbs and that. The, the only thing that worries me is that the white sheet that they have to wear. I think that looks rather extraordinary. What white when, sheet. When the queen's sort of robed in a sheet, almost. That you think that I, I, I'm not sure. That sounds know, good. Elements of it. <laughs> That's slightly disarming. They're more like Halloween. But I think <laughs> I think the problem is going to be if we don't get a bank holiday, because it is in May. We've already yeah. got two bank holidays. We're going to mind about that. I think that's part of it. Is you well, they're doing it on a Saturday, presumably, to try and avoid yes. the bank holiday. But what's the idea? We'd have one on the Friday to get... Yeah, or on the Monday. Get your bunting out. Get your bunting out, have a giant weekend. And there was some suggestion that the government sort of hoped that there might be some, they might get some bounce... Well, it. actually, well, the one thing they do get is if you get a lot of foreign dignitaries coming, I think that's fascinating because then you, you, you get them all talking together and you become the sort of global centre suddenly with all these heads of state. And I think that's probably quite useful. I would have had a bank holiday for that. Or I'd definitely have mm. a drinks party the night before, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're talking about so the, the Queen's uh, coronation lasted three hours. That's quite long, isn't it? I don't think anything... It's like films. Nothing should be more than 90 minutes. If you can't do it in 90... If you can't tell the story in 90 minutes... Well, the business with the oil is the kind of God, God-granted yeah. anointing, isn't it? Which, which, which I think people might have sort of some difficulty with, maybe. But I mean, I don't know. I think a coronation is a coronation. Do it properly or Do don't it properly. bother. You know. Yeah. You can't. Yes. You can't be a little bit. A bit coronation-y. Coronated. Yeah. 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 Now, the most important question I want to ask you about. Oh, I can give you the link for this. Go on. Coronation chicken. Coronation chicken. There Perfect. You go. That's what we pay you the big bucks for. That's what you're here for, version. So chickens. Which was actually what was invented for the last coronation, wasn't it? So what? Yeah, and didn't they somebody come up with a weird dish for the jubilee and nobody liked it? Was a it a jubilee pudding. cake or a trifle? A, it was a trifle, and don't mess with trifle. It was a trifle, trifle is like amazing. with beef mints in it or something. No, that's yeah, an episode a, of Friends. No, that was Friends. Yeah, no, but it was, it was like that. it was some weird trifle. So what's the matter? We've got the uh, both of you keep chickens. Yes. What's the matter with them? And we're both seriously worried about them. Although India's now been telling me even more things about chickens that I'm worried about. But actually what's happened is bird flu, and it's all around the country. It's mainly up in Scotland at the moment, in the islands, and, and around, and it's, it's a lot of the wild birds. But we've all been told to shut up our chickens now, and Indy and I have been discussing how you shut them up, because it's like putting them in lockdown. It's very difficult for them, and they haven't actually got iPads or Zoom or anything <laughs> to keep them entertained. So, so how many, let's talk chickens. Who, who's got the most? What, what are the breeds? Well, I think you may have. I have 15. Oh, yeah, wow. I've only got eight. But Alice has cockerels. Yeah. And now I don't, I don't want to, because India told me that cockerels can 
be very rapey and that they can be really nasty they and bullying to the rapey. female hens. And but I didn't realise that. Alice sweetly didn't think the cockerels were rapey. No. So then we were wondering whether it's only some cockerels, like some men, and, yeah. the, and the majority not of all cockerels. Hashtag not all not cockerels. All cockerels. Or it yeah. could just be Suffolk. It right. could be just horrible, aggressive Suffolk cockerels. Flockdown, apparently, is what it's called. Flockdown. Flockdown. So we were we so what I'm trying to do is basically put a lid on my chicken area with netting, yeah. but but and so is Alice. But then Alice thought that maybe that wasn't enough. That you that, that that I think the idea is you have to keep the wild birds from landing among didn't your flock. Did David Cameron have trouble with this? Did, did yes, they get Samantha some chicken? Cameron did. So she was photographed with while her chickens That's clucking right. around when they were meant to be. They shut were meant up. to be in lockdown. Oh, oh dear. As if he's I'm a real chicken on. expert now. Right? Well, do, not actually. Do all times columnists have chickens? Is that, do all times columnists have chickens, or is yeah. it just you two? Yes, it's the law. Yeah. yeah. Well, you need to get some, obviously. Well, yeah. Do we get a special like supplement on our way? Like, do you get a discount? Literally, you chicken feed. Yes. That's what that's Should what Boris jo- eggs, Johnson actually. called his. Uh, yes. Yeah, chicken feed. Oh, he's all joined together, isn't it? It's like we scripted it. It's lovely to see you. Very um, nice to see you. Uh, and India, you're on, when are you on doing your event here? I am on at 3.30 talking about uh, my new novel and Nancy Mitford with uh, Rachel Johnson and Laura Thompson. And when are you performing, Alice? I've performed. Oh, you did last you night? Came to yes. See, uh, which was last night. Unfortunately, Rachel I was chatting Sylvester. to Anton Dubeck, so I couldn't come. But remind us what your book's called? What I wish I'd known when I was young. Which is what you did with Rachel Sylvester. And it's also the, po- it's the spin-off of the podcast, Past Imperfect. Exactly. Lovely stuff. Lovely to see you both. Indian Eye and Alice Thompson then. Of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk. You get your first month for free. Up next, it's a very special edition of PMQ's Unpacked. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. A very good afternoon to you. It's Matt Chorley coming to you from the Times and Sunday Times Cheltenham Literature Festival. Very good. Well done, everyone. Uh, Right, so it's just gone 12 o'clock. It's Wednesday, so it must be time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. Live from Cheltenham, I call Matt Chorley and Lucy Fisher and Patrick McGuire. No expense spared there. That's the actual common speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, uh, doing us another jingle. Uh, here on Times Radio. So, uh, welcome to Lucy Fisher. Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. And also got Patrick McGuire time to a box there. How are you? I'm all right. Very full for my hotel breakfast, but good. <laughs> well, you're better than me. I had the uh, poached eggs and smoked salmon, and it was tiny. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's proper cutbacks for you. Now, uh, PMQ's Unpacked is coming up. It's been quite a while since we last had one, Lucy. Over a month ago. Uh, back then, Labour had a mere 15-point lead in the polls. Um, quite a lot. You could buy, you could buy $1.15 with a pound back then. Um, quite a lot's happened since then. What do you expect to unfold between Keir Starmer and Liz Truss today? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the polls because obviously they have vastly worsened. Uh, in the past uh, fortnight, we've had two successive YouGov polls that have given Labour at least a 30-point lead. But there was something else in the polling that really caught my eye, and that was around the new um, fixed-rate mortgages, many of which are now above 6%. And people were asked, who do you blame for that? Is it global affairs, to which 24% said yes, or is it the Conservative government, to which 52% said yes? And I think the idea that the Conservatives have uh, pinned a blue rosette (laughs) to mortgage rises, as the spectator, the Tory Bible, has described it, is a really big problem for them, and I expect that's something we might hear Kirstama go on today. Patrick, what are you hearing from inside the Labour Party? 
Uh, well, yeah, much the same, actually. I think Keir, Starmer, uh, Keir Starmer's aides are very keen, as Lucy says, to pin the bits of the economic turmoil people will really understand and feel on the Tory party, as was the case in 1992 with Black Wednesday. So I expect we'll hear him talk about economic chaos and those mortgage rate rises in particular is something they really want to hammer home today. OK, here we go then, for the first time ever, live in front of hundreds of people in a tent at the Child Literature Festival. Uh, we can go live to the House of Commons. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Position, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join with the Prime Minister in her comments about Sir David? Uh, she spoke for the whole House when she made those comments, and I know uh, how deeply his loss was felt on the opposite benches, and we extend our best wishes across at this important time. Mr Speaker, I also want to send my heartfelt condolences to the families of all those who tragically lost their lives in Chrysler last week. Donegal is a special place to me and my family and across this House. Uh, The people there are in all of our thoughts. Mr Speaker, this morning, the Business Secretary toured the TV studios arguing that the turmoil in the markets has nothing to do with her budget. Does the Prime Minister agree with him? Well, Mr Speaker, what we have done is we have taken decisive action. We have taken decisive action to make sure that people are not facing energy bills of £6,000 for two years. And I think we remember the opposition is only talking about six months. We've also taken decisive action to make sure that we are not facing the highest taxes for 70 years in the face of a global economic slowdown. And what we're making sure is that we protect our economy at this very difficult time internationally. And as a result, as a result of our action, Mr Speaker, and this has been independently corroborated, we will see higher growth and lower inflation. OK, well, let's just uh, let's pause it there. Uh, some laughter in the hall as well as... Uh in the House of Commons chamber. We should just explain, I think those comments, uh, Keir Starmer was referring to Mr Amos, it was this time last year, actually, I remember being uh, on this stage interviewing uh, um, Jess Phillips uh, just after we got the news about the, uh, the sad uh, killing of uh, David Amos, uh, which took, took, uh, that happened a year ago, so I think that's why there were, there were tributes to David Amos at the beginning there. Uh, let's get stuck into the meat of it, though, uh, Lucy. Um, a nice, clear question from Keir Starmer. Um, what did you make of the answer? Well, it was a bit of a fudge, wasn't it? She... Uh... <laughs> obviously was not keen to engage on whether the Conservatives have caused the economic turmoil. And in actual fact, I think one thing that has annoyed so many Tory MPs is that they think, actually, a lot of the things we are seeing, an end to the era of easy money and cheap credit, is coming globally. It's just what the government has done has expedited it and now owned it, so it is really difficult. I was really struck that the Prime Minister um, rode in again hard behind the tax-cutting policy, saying that this is a government that has brought down um, the tax burden from a 70-year high, because there's a lot of pressure her, on her at the moment, to, and, her, and her Chancellor, to reverse some of the tax cuts that were announced in the mini-budget. You know, we heard from the IFS yesterday that they've got to find £62 billion worth of savings either from cutting the state really heavily or from reversing those tax cuts. And I think that possibly they are going to have to reverse the tax cuts. So it fascinated me that she sort of was still bigging those up right now. Interesting as well, Patrick. Not a lot of noise from the Tory back Well, I was just about to say that the one thing that struck me most about that exchange was the overpowering sound of silence from the Conservative benches. There wasn't even the sort of a cursory bray of support from (laughs) anyone behind her, really. And that just shows you the bind she's in. And one thing Tory MPs are particularly frustrated about, she opened with, this government has taken decisive action to freeze people's energy bills for two years. And, you know, it's crazy to remember now, given everything that's happened since, but that was the, almost one of the biggest fiscal interventions any government has made in peacetime in this country ever. And Tory MPs are sat there thinking, well, we got absolutely no credit for it whatsoever. Yeah. So obviously they're in no mood to cheer, but that just shows you just how isolated she is already a month into her premiership, that even at PMQs, when that's usually a time when a partisan message like that can get even the most hardened cynic on the Tory benches roaring with support. No one wants Nothing. to open their mouth. Nothing. No sign of Kwasi Kwarteng uh, on the front bench because he's actually in America. He's in Washington this morning, isn't he? Uh, but uh, Therese Coffey, the Deputy Prime Minister, is sitting next to uh, Liz Truss. Let's go back to the House of Commons again then. It's question number two from Keir Starmer. 
Mr. Speaker, avoiding the question, yeah. ducking responsibility, yeah. lost in denial. No wonder investors have no confidence in her government. And this is why it matters. A few weeks ago, Zach and Rebecca from Wolverhampton were all set to buy their first home. Then the government's borrowing spree sent interest rates spiralling and their mortgage offer was withdrawn. I met them last week. They're back to square one, unable to buy, devastated, sick to the back teeth with excuses and blame shifting. Yeah. Does the Prime Minister understand why Zach and Rebecca are completely furious with her? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the fact is that when I came into office, people were facing energy bills of up to £6,000 a year. Well, I'm sorry. But, Mr Speaker, the party opposite are shouting, but he is opposing the very package that we brought in in energy price guarantee. That was the major part of the mini-budget that we announced. And, Mr Speaker, he has refused to confirm whether or not he backs our energy price guarantee for two years, which protects families not just this winter, but next winter. What we're seeing, Mr Speaker, is we are seeing interest rates rising globally. We are doing, they are rising globally in the face of Putin's appalling war in Ukraine. And what we are doing is helping people with lower stamp duty, helping people with their energy costs, reducing inflation with our energy package and keeping taxes low. And I notice that the Honourable Gentleman had a Damascan conversion last night when he backed our cut to national insurance. I can I could, I could sort of tell from the, the mood in the hall that that probably, <laughs> probably didn't win you over uh, uh, totally. Supply uh, teachers lost the room. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the interesting thing, talking about the energy uh, bills thing, Patrick, when we did a focus group on, the, on Times Radio yesterday, one of the people in the focus group said uh, that all this talk of, well, your bill's going to be £6,000, and so we've now only doubled them to £2,500. You're not going to get a lot of credit for that. It's still gone up massively. It's like so the public aren't, aren't delighted by that intervention. It's just a question of, well, you, you, of course you had to do something. And actually, the, the weird thing about this trust's um, attack on Keir Starmer is saying, well, you only wanted to do it for six months, but she spent the entire summer saying she wasn't going to do anything. Uh, and ended up doing it for two and years. And Labour, to be fair to them, did say, it was Rachel Reeves' interview on the morning of Tory Potter Conference on a lesser uh, broadcaster, did say but she would, she would uh, back them, the government for two years. So Labour have already... I have already supported that. But it's interesting, you know, Liz Truss was given an opportunity. Wolverhampton, the city Keir Starmer raises, two out of three seats are held by the Conservatives, all of them marginal. Uh, and Liz Truss isn't particularly good at showing empathy in these situations. Um, you know, Keir Starmer's message was sort of ready-made for the Wolverhampton Express and Star to run with a clip of his question. And Liz Truss then uh, sort of missed that fairly open goal to show some sympathy with hard-up Tory mortgage payers. And, and crucially, Lucy, it's normally when sometimes when you get those sort of I spoke to Sally, who uh, <laughs> happens to completely agree with me on all policies uh, and has a, has a particular life circumstance which fits everything I say. The point is actually, Zach and Rebecca are, we know, spread right across the country. Everyone here probably knows of someone who's gone through exactly this thing, a house sale's fallen through, they've suddenly been hit with a big mortgage uh, interest rate rise. And that's what's really hammering home. And, and as Patrick was saying, Liz Truss's inability to really engage with that at all. Not only failure to engage with that question, but I suddenly wondered if there was a glitch with the tech and we were replaying the first answer <laughs> from the Prime Minister. So again. far, so good, Touchwood. There's been no glitches with the tech. Um, but I think, it's, as Patrick said, there are so many Tory MPs who are angered um, that the government's failed to get credit for the energy support package, that clearly she's just trying to use every opportunity now to hammer home yeah. what it is. I think there's so many problems with it, including the fact there's so much confusion about what it is. A lot of people think, OK, my bills are capped at £2,500. Mm. Well, that's not right. It's yeah. only the energy, uh, the unit cost of energy that's capped. So if you use more than average, your bills will be higher than that. I also think an interesting intervention this morning from Sajid Javid when he pointed out that one of the things that spooked the markets was that this energy bailout package cost much, much more than the markets expected. Speaks to what I've been hearing um, from a lot of Tory MPs privately, 
it, which is their anger that this package wasn't more targeted. And actually, the UK is spending a lot more helping people with their household bills um, than most other European states, some of which are spending only half as much. Yeah. So she's being attacked for not being generous enough from the left, for being possibly too generous or at least untargeted, and it being too expensive a package from the right. So, um, yeah, happy place to be. <laughs> Right, let's go back, because uh, yeah, time's knocking on. Let's go back to the House of Commons. This is uh, PMQ's Unpacked Live from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Let's go back to the House of Commons. It's question three from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the economy's in turmoil. People are really worried. This is really not the time to descend into absolutely nonsense attacks about last night. There's no point. There's no point. There's no point trying to hide it. Everyone can see what has happened. The Tories went on a borrowing spree, sending mortgage rates through the roof. They are skyrocketing by £500 a month. And for nearly two million homeowners, their fixed rate deals are coming to an end next year. They're worried sick, and everybody in this house knows it. They won't forgive. They won't forget, and nor should they. When will she stop ducking responsibility, do the right thing, and reverse her kamikaze budget, which is causing so much pain? Mr Speaker, last night the Labour Party supported... I won't see the Prime Minister. I'm sorry if her own party doesn't, but I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay Hoyle, then. Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely unclear yeah. about what Labour... <laughs> <laughs> the Labour Party finding that particularly amusing. Oh, no, she's had to sit down again. I think we don't want an early bath at this stage. The Rugby World Cup's <laughs> coming. Don't start it too soon. Just let's hear the questions and certainly the answers. That's Lindsay Hoyle now telling off the Labour side. Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely unclear as to what, <laughs> as to what <laughs> the Labour Party the same policy chat. is on our energy price guarantee. It was the biggest part. It was the biggest part of our mini-budget. Are the opposition saying they want to reverse it and they want to see people facing energy bills of £6,000? Is that what he's saying? Well, this is Paul's sort of turned into leader of the opposition questions now. Um... <sighs> to, be, to be fair to Patrick, this trust, go on. For, for a minute, there is a, there is a sort of semantic question about... And, these are the most boring sorts of questions in politics. When you say, it's an interesting semantic point, it does mean you've lost the actual argument, but it's worth going into. Keir Starmer has been banging on about other Tories must reverse their kamikaze budget, uh, or kamikaze budget, as some <laughs> waggish Labour front... Well, in fact, he got told off, didn't he? Um, he went on, uh, was it Radio Ra Surrey? Radio Surrey, yeah. his yeah. said, if you say kamikaze budget again, he was going to ring a bell. He said it so many times. But, but, the budget isn't all good for Labour, in that having reversed the 45p cut, uh, which they were bank going round conference, you know, when they were meeting, journalists saying, oh, this 45p tax rate is great because it'll give us loads more money to spend on public services and we can keep it. Having got rid of that, Labour, when they get into government, or if they get into government, rather, should they win, we'll have a little bit less fiscal headroom. They've said they'll keep the, cutting the basic rate of income tax because Labour never wants to argue on higher, higher, um, higher taxes for, for basic rate earners. And now they're saying they'll keep the national insurance cut. So... The politics of this are quite tricky for Labour, but obviously they're subsumed in the total mess that the government is facing. But it's, it's, it is worth just keeping an eye on the small print of what Labour says it will do with yeah. all this economic policy, because it it'll be a tricky economic inheritance should Labour maintain this poll lead for another three years. We should point out there are quite a few spaces, I notice, on the Tory benches as well. It's not as, as, as ram-packed as you would expect. I don't know, maybe people have found other things to do. Uh, let's just, so I'm just slightly conscious of the time because it's going on quite a bit. Let's go back to the House of Commons and see uh, what Keir Starmer has to say in response to the question from Liz Truss. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the, the Prime Minister knows very well that on this side we voted against the national insurance in the first place. She, she, she voted for it. So who's doing the U-turn? Honestly. Last week, the Prime Minister was forced to U-turn on her unfunded tax cut for the super wealthy. Yeah. This week, she's beginning to realise that she needs to extend the windfall tax, yeah. one step behind the CEO of Shell. Yeah. But she's, she's still going ahead 
with £18 billion of tax cuts for the richest businesses, and they didn't even ask for it. She still gift-wrapped a stamp duty cut for landlords, just as renters feel the pinch. And she's still holding out tax cuts for those who live off stocks and shares. Why does she expect working people to pick up the bill for her unfunded tax cuts for those at the top? I notice that the leader of the opposition is still not saying whether or not he supports our energy price guarantee. This is, this is very relevant, Mr Speaker, because <laughs> it is the biggest part. Here, it is the biggest part of our mini-budget. It's the biggest part of the mini-budget. The fact is that all the opposition have said is that people should be supported for six months. Does he think that in March pensioners should be facing very high energy bills because that's what will happen if he doesn't support our energy price guarantee. (laughs) And now she's sat down. Um, One thing I just noticed there, Lucy, in the background is Alex Chalk, Cheltenham MP, uh, keen supporter of Rishi Sunak. Uh, He came on the show this morning. I think it's fair to say he wasn't a huge enthusiast for what Liz Truss was doing. And judging by his face that we just yeah, saw... Yeah, looks like he's having a great... Oh, the screen. He didn't look like he was having a lot expression. of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do we think of it so far, Lucy? Well, in a sense, I think that um, Keir Starmer isn't actually quite capitalising enough on the way that the government seems to be following Labour on policy. You know, he did mention that it was Labour who opposed the national insurance rise in the first place, whereas Truss supported it yeah. and then has had to U-turn. He mentioned, um, just in, in one phrase... the the windfall tax being expanded um, overnight. Big policy announcement today that the government is going to cap the revenues that wind, solar and nuclear firms um, can make. bit unclear about how they're going to use the extra revenue to bring down household bills, but many people consider that a de facto windfall tax. Again, that's been Labour's flagship policy on energy. So sometimes I think he misses open goals. But It doesn't feel like he's really captured what an extraordinary moment we've seen in politics for the last month. No, and sometimes his, his, his tone sort of feels a bit sort of headmasterly. People won't forgive and won't forget, nor should they. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go back then. This is uh, what question number five then. Let's see what the headmaster's got to say now. This is Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, you're not even attempting to answer the questions now. I gently remind her that the idea of freezing energy bills was a Labour idea which she then took on. During her leadership contest, the Prime Minister said, and I quote her exactly, I'm very clear, I'm not planning public spending reductions. Is she going to stick to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. What we are... Look, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, we are spending... We are spending almost a trillion pounds of public spending. We were spending 700 billion back in 2010. What we will make sure is that over the medium term, the debt is falling. But we will do that not by cutting public spending, but by making sure we spend public money well. And the honourable gentleman talks about our spending, which he doesn't seem to support on the energy price guarantee. But the reality is he can't criticise us on one hand for spending money, on the other hand claiming we're cutting public expenditure. Yes, <laughs> I hope you're all keeping notes to try and untangle that logic. I mean, actually, the most that's pretty significant, Patrick, that at the dispatch box, she said, she said absolutely not, not. We are not cutting public spending. We're not spending. going to cut public spending, but then offered the most straightforward and easily decoded euphemism for cutting public spending, which is, <laughs> we're just going to make sure we spend it well. Um, and given that, you know, she's saying that from the dispatch box, that's, as you say, a hugely significant moment. It's straight from Liz Truss's mouth. But you have also had influential cabinet ministers like Simon Clark, the levelling up secretary who's part of the quad, the four ministers who decide all the economic policy along with Kwasi Kwarteng and Therese Coffee, saying we've been living in a fool's paradise for too long and it's time to trim the fat of public departments. So... It's quite hard to square Liz Truss saying, no, we're not going to put, cut public spending, with what people like Simon Clark and Kwasi Kwarteng have been saying. Kwasi Kwarteng has written to all Whitehall departments saying, time for you to cut your budgets, lads. Um, but, and also with what Liz Truss said in the same sentence, which is, we're going to make sure you spend money well, which can mean nothing else other than we're going to make 
cuts or adjustments to public spending. So that's very confusing and confused, I think. I, for me, but it's so not just confusing, though. It's also potentially quite dangerous because when answering that question, and actually I asked her exactly the same question through to her, her statement during the, the Tory leadership contest promising not to cut public spending when I interviewed her in Birmingham last week, and she said the same, she wasn't going to cut public spending. Obviously, that is a message intended to reach voters, but actually, at the moment, the more pressing task facing her, in my opinion, is reassuring the markets. And what they want to know is that when Kwasi Kwarteng brings forward this medium-term fiscal plan on Halloween, that there will be... Um, the, will the markets be spooked, trickle-down or treat economics? Um, they, they, they want to know that the books are going to balance, and that either means reversing the tax cuts and some significant cuts to public spending, or huge, vast cuts of public spending Which, and pairing back investment and squeezing benefit rises and all the rest. So, And the Institute for Fiscal Studies said this week it was £60 billion. Pounds £60 of, billion. Pounds. Of spending cuts. Which means 15% to everything. Because if you accept welfare and defence and the NHS, actually there's very little left to cut. And the cuts in the bits of the public expenditure you can cut will be very, very deep. And considering how m much budgets have fallen since 2010... That's, There's know. no low-hanging fruit there. Yeah, it is. So we talked about. I think the, the the difference between increasing benefits in line with inflation or line with wages would save about was it five, five billion? billion? Yeah. So you're a long way off sixty. You know, that was like that was one of the apparently one of the easier of the uh, of the political arguments. There's one question Quasi Quarting will face at the IMF in Washington today, which is you know given how critical the IMF have been of all these policies, which is we we listen to Liz Truss at PMQs. Maybe they're listening to Times Radio at the IMF. Who knows? But uh, they'll say, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> and, well, Them and the rest of the know. nation. Um, right, we go back now to the last question uh, from Keir Starmer. It's PMQ's Unpacked, live on Times Radio, from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Uh, let... <laughs> we haven't finished yet. You've got... You're going to be here for at least another half an hour, so pace yourselves. Uh, let's go back to the House Conference. This has been the big rousing peroration from both sides. It's probably just both of them trying to find a clip for social media. Uh, let's go back. Question number six from Keir Starmer. They can cheer. I hope they listen very, very carefully to that last answer because other people will listen very, very carefully to it. Who voted... Uh, <laughs> who voted for this? Who voted for this? Who voted for this? Not homeowners paying an extra 500 extra on their mortgages. Who voted this? Not working people paying for tax cuts to the largest companies. Who voted for this? Not even most of the MPs behind her who know, who know you can't pay for tax cuts on the never-never. Does she think, does she think the public will ever forgive the Conservative Party if they keep on defending this madness and go ahead with a kamikaze budget? Yeah. Mr Speaker, what our budget has delivered is security, fa security family for families for the next two winters. It's made sure that we're going to see higher economic growth lower inflation and more opportunities. The way that we will get our country growing is through more jobs, more growth, more opportunities. Not through higher taxes, higher spending and his friends in the union stopping hard-working people get to work. Well, there we are. Rousing cheers from, Rousing the cheers from all sides. Nobody voted. Who voted for this? Uh, Keir Starmer sort of picking up the message from the Greenpeace flag at Tory conference last week. Yeah, I think it's a, the right question to be asking. You know, you think back to kind of Gordon Brown era, the squatter and number 10. It feels that is a narrative that is yeah. really gathering pace. Even Nadine Dorries, you know, who supported Liz Truss in the Tory leadership contest this summer, has said publicly, you know, you're departing so far from the 2019 manifesto that Boris Johnson put to voters. You've got to, you know, take it to the public if you want to, you know, push yeah. through such a different legislative agenda. But again, I do wish Keir would be a bit more aggressive. Mm. What do you think, Patrick? Well, look, I, I, you know, I don't think... There have been a lot of laughter in this room at Liz Truss's slightly contorted answers, but I don't think this is a room... Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, which is, you know, frothing at the mouth for Keir Starmer. Um, because it's quite hard to get excited by him. Yeah. It all depends. It's interesting you talk about mortgages because this is, you know, one of the big sort of ancestral rows in the Labour Party. Either you think, you know, if you are... It was part of the Blairite-Brownite thing, not to get too deep into history lessons, but, you know, there are people who believe John Smith, before he died, was always on course to win in 1997 because 
Black Wednesday had been so terrible and the stain on the Tories' reputation had been so profound and so uh, you know, impossible to expunge that Labour would always win. And there are those, the Blairites, who thought, actually, there was a chance we could have lost in 97, so we had to seize the moment. We had to be aggressive. We had to really uh, be opportunistic and drive through a programme of reform in the Labour Party. At the moment, it still seems the Labour Party, uh, uh, Keir Starmer in particular, is in that sort of, we can afford to be a bit passive, one more heave, things are so bad for the Conservative Party, we couldn't possibly lose. Um, and, you know, he, isn't, he still isn't seizing the moment, he's still not being sort of, he's not capturing the public imagination, as you pick up in your focus groups. And, and the thing, and we've talked, a lot, we've talked a lot about this on Times Radio, this question of, has he, is he keeping his powder dry or has he got no powder? Based on this... You know, he'll gain 50, 60 seats just through the ter- Tory turmoil, but he needs 120, 150 seats to have anything resembling a, a workable majority. And that needs some rocket boosters and a bit of... And this is, is, is interesting, which is why part of the reason why there's a big uh, argument, as these things always are in the Labour Party, a lot of tension between the Blairite old lags and the Brownite old lags who now run Keir Starmer's office. One of the Brownites, his chief of staff, Sam White, got whacked yesterday, got sacked... Partly because the Blairites around Keir Starmer think we've really got to go, uh, get into fifth gear and really seize the moment, grab this moment by the scruff of the neck and the way Keir Starmer's office is organised uh, very meticulously. Actually, not very meticulously, is there, despite his personality, uh, was their objection. Um, you know, that's why, that's why he's sacked his chief of staff and he's trying to yeah. uh, grab this moment by the scruff of the neck. Uh, and perhaps we'll see that strategy change, but it's whether Keir Starmer himself has what's in it, it has, has a presentation yeah. in there. Let's uh, do a yeah. quick straw poll then. Give us a cheer. We'll do b- both of them. Give us a cheer if you think Liz Truss won PMQs. <laughs> I said, give us a cheer. <laughs> <laughs> give us a cheer if you think Keir Starmer won. Yeah. Give us a cheer if you thought it was a score draw. Hmm? Oh, fine. Say again. Not even a score. Not even a score. Dre- a dreary We've all wasted our time, haven't we, sir? <laughs> Uh, for the last half an hour. But up next, we'll do the best of the rest, which, of course, all means we're getting to get to hear from Ian Blackford, which I know is uh, what you're all here for. Uh, and uh, then we'll take some questions from you and we'll do the quiz. It's Matt Cholley bringing you PMQs unpacked live from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Uh... <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> They're Very great texts. Shut text. up, Patrick. We're live on the radio. <laughs> it's Matt Cholley live from the Cheltenham <laughs> Literature Festival. It was so perfectly timed to come back straight from the news that you were just talking. Yeah, well, I'm still joined by Patrick McGuire, Times Red Box editor, and Lucy Fisher, Times Radio Chief Political Commentator. What do you want to share with the class, Patrick? <laughs> They're not even that interested now. Basically, you know, uh, uh, the person who writes P- Keir Starmer's PMQs, or one of the many people who writes Keir Starmer's PMQs, just raised the point we've raised, which said it'd be interesting to see how the markets respond to the answer about um, spending cuts and the lack of them. And Liz Truss appearing to rule them they out. They said, let's yeah. see what the markets say about that. Also... Forget it. But the Tory MP... <laughs> a Tory minister just left the Indic. chamber shaking their head. There you go. That's there the sort are. of colour. That's the sort of colour you can only get from my WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, do you want to add to that rambling shambles? <laughs> um, since we're all reaching for our offence, can I just read out the leader from The Economist yes, today? Yes, please do. Because yes. this is something that has been sent to me by several MPs this morning um, laughing. So this is The Economist, which usually goes for fairly dry on the fence verdicts. Liz Truss is already a historical figure. However long she now lasts in office, she is set to be remembered as the Prime Minister whose grip on power was the shortest in British political history. Miss Truss entered Downing Street on September the 6th. She blew up her own government with a package of unfunded tax cuts and energy price guarantees on September the 23rd. Take away the 10 days of mourning after the death of the Queen and she had seven days in control. That is the shelf life of a lettuce. See, that's how you do it, Patrick. <laughs> Look, uh, right, well, to go back to the House of Commons now. I know what you've all come for. It's PMQ's unpacked. It's the best of the rest. So, of course, we go live to the House of Commons. It's Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister on the murder of David Amos a, a year ago and thoughts and prayers very much with Julia and, and his family. And, of course, uh, we think very much of those in Cressler that have been caught up in the terrible tragedy uh, there as well. I would have hoped that if the Prime Minister is making public spending commitments today that she would have said that those that rely on social security benefits will get their benefits upgraded in line with inflation. Yeah, 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 Mr yeah, Speaker, yeah. when the Prime Minister last stood at the dispatch box, the average two-year 
fixed rate mortgage stood at 4.5%. They are now at 6.5% and rising, hitting average families with an extra £450 a month of mortgage payments every single month over and above what they were paying. 37 days into the job, this is literally the cost of the Prime Minister's yeah. incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. It is the price households are paying, yeah. and all because of the Chancellor that she chose. Exactly. Will she now give up her desperate plan to save her Chancellor's skin by scapegoating the Governor of the Bank of England? Yeah. 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 Mr Speaker, the action we have taken has meant that families in Scotland and across the United Kingdom are not facing gargantuan energy bills. But what the Honourable Gentleman and his friends in Scotland could do to help us out is build the nuclear power stations that are going to help our energy security, help us get more gas out of the North Sea to help deliver on a more secure energy future for all of our people. Ian Blackford there doing his classic trick of saying what everyone else has already said, but with twice as many words. Um, <laughs> but again, I mean, the reaction of the room sums it up, Lucy. It leads to a slightly robotic, repetitive response, regardless of the question. It's, a, it's, it's not a great place to be here after five or six weeks in the job. Every time you open your mouth, people laugh. Well, to me, you can tell that the atmosphere on the Tory benches is grim, that they couldn't even rally themselves to jeer Ian Blackford when he stood up. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that happen. It's a sad state of affairs if you can't even take the mick out of Ian Blackford. State of affairs. But I, 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 I hate that in the Commons where you have a question on subject A and an answer on subject B that just don't yeah. mesh at all. It's frustrating, it achieves nothing, and I think people can see straight through it. I think we can pay uh, tribute to um, uh, James Cleverly for... So, Herculean levels of nodding, uh, sitting behind the foreign secretary, sitting behind uh, Liz Trusted, nodding like crazy. Um, uh, ah, Alex Chalk's been in touch. Hope your session went well. <laughs> Shall I ask him how he thinks PMQs? Do do. How is PMQs going? You look. His very majority's smaller than this happy room, isn't it? On the telly. <laughs> there we are. See if he comes back. <laughs> uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons now. I think we're going to uh, the Tory MP Guy Opperman asking a question of the Prime Minister. Here we go. Prime Minister, the energy price guarantee is a key part of the growth plan, but too few businesses and households know about it, even if the Labour Party don't support it. Guy urged you to have a nationwide mail-out campaign to communicate what the government is doing to assess people on reduction of energy, and more particularly, have a reduction of energy campaign by the public service so that we don't go down the route of spending too much on consumption. We reduce supply. Well, my, my, um, my right honourable friend is absolutely right, and I know the Energy Secretary is working on a plan to help companies and individuals use energy more efficiently, we're also working on this across government. I was delighted to speak to my friend yesterday, and I hope we'll be able to start this going in number 10 straight away. In Maybury. Curious answer, Lucy. Given that yeah. last week we had Jacob Rees-Mogg, of all people, wanting a nanny state campaign telling people how to save on their, I don't know, oil lamps, and um, <laughs> number 10 ruled it out, which yeah. appeared to be... So is that a U-turn on a U-turn? An O-turn? An O-turn, so, yeah. Um, yes, that did appear like she was announcing there will be some kind of public campaign explaining to people that if you turn down the flow temperature on your boiler, that's much more effective in saving on energy costs than just turning off a light. Um, yeah, very curious behaviour from the Prime Minister there after ruling that out last week on the basis of cost and not wanting to tell people what to do. Well, the great novelty was really that she answered the question at all. Um, I think we could do... Uh, should, we do one more? should we do one more, Chloe? Producer Chloe? Yeah? we we'll do one more. OK, we could go... I think uh, Rosie Cooper... We're doing Rosie Cooper next. It's the Labour MP, uh, Rosie Cooper. Who's leaving? Who, yeah, she's announced she's standing down. It's just one song. Here we go. By-election now. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituents were absolutely delighted that the fracking application in West Lancashire was withdrawn after a moratorium was declared. Since then, we've not seen any new scientific evidence that indicates fracking would now be safe. So, despite this, the government decided to reverse that moratorium, committing to grant fracking licences 
only in areas that have local consent. So I would be grateful if the Prime Minister would reassure West Lancashire residents, my constituents, and please explain in detail how she will honour her statement that fracking licences, none of them will be forced on communities that don't want it. Well, first of all, can I offer my best wishes to the Honourable Lady on her appointment as the Chair of the Mersey Care NHS Trust. I can absolutely assure her and colleagues around the House that fracking will only go ahead in areas where there is local community support. Uh, Patrick, do you want to explain that issue? Uh, well, Rosie Cooper is the outgoing MP for West Lancashire, uh, not too far where I'm from originally, but it's, uh, there's lots of fracking projects there, and everybody, as people who live near fracking projects tend to do, uh, loads them. So it's going to be a big theme of this upcoming by-election. Uh, Labour's leaflets already say, you know, vote, a vote for Labour is a vote against Tory tax cuts and uh, also fracking. So it's very interesting to see Liz Truss nod uh, very aggressively there, like she'd just been, you know, someone in her ear had said, make sure you nod at this, uh, giving James Cleverly a run for her, his money, <laughs> and then give a quite conciliatory answer, which is, which is a very different tack to the one she's taken yeah. thus far in her PMQs, which is to chart a course of clear blue water. So it does show that Liz Truss, despite everything, is at least trying to moderate some of her more divisive messages in line with electoral reality, but that's not going to be enough in West Lancashire, I can tell you for free. Yeah, just quickly, Lucy. And can I just stop in and say, though, I agree with you, Patrick, but I do think we need to see what local consent means. Yeah. That's the key issue here, the definition of that, because Jacob Rees-Mogg, when he was asked, recently suggested... Oh, we'll commission some companies to go and do a survey and anyone who complains will pay them off. Um, yeah. So that isn't, you know, consent by most people's standards. We need to see what happens there. Well, that brings us to the end of PMQ's Unpacked. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.